Aren't you glad that you don't live in Portland, Maine? If you are a responsible parent who cares about your children and who believes in the Ten Commandments, then I'm sure you're not only glad, I think you're more than glad, I think you're, you're ecstatic. As many of you know, a few weeks ago, the school committee of the city of Portland decided by a vote of seven to two to make artificial contraceptives, including birth control pills, available to students at King Middle School, one of the schools in the city. This means that little girls as young as 11 years of age who probably need special permission to get an aspirin from the school nurse, those same little girls will now be able to get birth control pills at their school without their parents ever knowing about it. Obviously, from an ethical perspective, this policy is gravely immoral. But aside from that, my brothers and sisters, it's also foolish. It's stupid. Don't they realize that you will never stop young people from engaging in certain behaviors by giving them the tools that they need to carry out those behaviors? It's like telling children not to shoot guns and then providing them with loaded revolvers. It isn't going to work. It makes no sense. But on an even deeper level, this decision of the Portland School Committee provides us with a very important spiritual lesson. And that's what I want to focus on today in this homily. This decision shows us how easily Pride can disguise itself as something good. I say that because, in effect, the seven members of this committee who voted in favor of this policy, those committee members are saying to parents, to parents of the school children of Portland, you mothers and fathers are a disgrace. Now, they're not saying this verbally, but this is the implied message they're giving by this decision. They're saying, you fathers and mothers are a disgrace. You can't be trusted to educate your own children in matters of sexual morality. But that's understandable because we don't think that your children are capable of making good decisions even if they are taught right from wrong. To us on this committee, your kids are like little animals in heat. And they need to be treated that way. So we, the enlightened, the informed, the compassionate people that we are, we're going to help you. We're going to help your little beasts deal with their raging hormones by giving them birth control all the birth control they want. 
If I were a parent in the city of Portland, I would be livid. And thankfully, I have heard many parents up there are livid. I would be screaming, how dare you? How dare you impose your immorality on me and on my family? How dare you be so arrogant? How dare you be so prideful? And then I would immediately pull my children out of King Middle School and put them in a good Catholic school, like St. Pius X. <laughs> Couldn't resist adding that. So here we have pride masking itself very cleverly as compassion and concern. That, my dear friends, is all too typical of how pride operates in our lives. You see, of all the seven deadly sins, pride is unquestionably the most dangerous. It's the most dangerous because it's normally the most difficult one to identify. For example, if we're truly honest with ourselves, we know if and when we have committed the sin of lust. It's pretty obvious. We know when we have slipped into sinful anger. We know when we've committed the sin of gluttony. Our digestive system makes that clear to us. We can feel envy welling up inside. We know when we've been selfish or greedy. And other people tend to confront us when we're guilty of the sin of sloth, laziness. Get up off that couch and do something. Pride is different. It's different because it often comes disguised as something attractive, something good. In Maine, as I just made clear, it's currently disguising itself as concern for young people. And concern for young people is a good thing. We should all be concerned for our teenagers. And in today's Gospel story, it's very cleverly disguised as prayer and devotion. Prayer and devotion are good things. We're here praying. We should all have devotion to God. The Pharisee, we are told here, goes into the temple in Jerusalem and he quote-unquote prays. But his prayer is not a humble petition for help and mercy. Rather, it's what I would call a little news brief directed to the Almighty. Dear God, in case you're not aware of it, here's how good I am. And here's how rotten everybody else is, including this pathetic tax collector. Amen. His words are filled with pride, but please notice something. This man is totally unaware of it. In fact, he leaves the temple thinking that he's just drawn closer to God. Whereas in reality, he's just done something that's pulled him further away from the Lord. This is why pride is dangerous. Here, 
its pride disguised as prayer. Now this phenomenon where pride conceals itself as something good is not anything new. It goes way back to the very beginning of human history, to the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what the serpent said to Eve when he was trying to get her to disobey God? He said to her, Eve, take a good hard look at that tree in the middle of the garden. You know, the one God told you you can't eat the fruit from? That one. You know why God told you not to eat that fruit? He told you that because he's not very nice. He wants to hold you back. He wants to keep you down. He knows very well that if you and Adam consume any of that fruit, you're going to be just like him. You will be like gods yourselves. In effect, Satan was saying, Eve, look, if you and Adam disobey the Lord in this way, you're going to become all that you can be. Something great's going to happen to you. You will be on your way to realizing your full potential as human beings. For heaven's sake, you're going to be like gods. That was pride disguised as self-fulfillment. Fulfill yourself, Eve. Eat the fruit. Disobey God and his law. That's all you got to do. Obviously, pride still uses that disguise today, and very effectively, I might add. As we all know, it's very common nowadays for people to disregard God's moral law for the sake of reaching what they consider to be their full potential. People do it in business. They do it in politics. They do it in the church. They even do it in the world of sports. It's why athletes take steroids. Whether these sports stars realize it or not, they have all made the choice to use performance-enhancing drugs because they've given in to pride. Pride disguised as something good, self-fulfillment. I've got to take this stuff to be all that I can be, and that's a good thing. I want to reach my potential. I want to hit all the home runs that I can possibly hit. I want to run as fast as I can possibly run. I want to lift as much weight as I can possibly lift. That's why I need this. That's pride in a very clever disguise. How is pride disguising itself in my life right now? That's a very important question for each and every one of us to consider. But let me tell you something, as important as that question is, I don't think any of us can answer it at this moment. At least, I don't think any of us can answer it adequately at this moment. Because pride is so sneaky, so tricky, so subtle, this is something we really have to think and pray about. How is pride disguising itself in my life right now? I beg you this morning, 
Don't leave that question here in church. Take it with you when you leave. And really spend some time reflecting on it in the near future. Because let me tell you, and, and I will leave you with this thought. When we don't come to terms with the pride in our lives, when we don't identify it and try to get rid of it, we suffer. We suffer the negative consequences. Like the Pharisee in this Gospel, for example, we don't pray effectively. Like the athletes who take anabolic steroids, we do harm to ourselves. And like the seven school committee members in Portland, Maine, when we don't face the pride in our lives, we make rules and we make policies that hurt other people, including our own children.